Recently, I wrote an opinion piece for the Christian World section of the Jerusalem Post newspaper concerning the amazing discovery of a so-called curse tablet, an archaeological find that helps once again to prove the validity of the Bible. Well, that news article drew one reader to argue that in the New Testament dispensation, believers are supposed to bless one another and not to curse one another. But the person commenting missed the entire point of the archaeological discovery. At first, it may sound very negative that a tablet containing curses was hailed as a great archaeological and biblical discovery. However, while the New Testament does teach us to bless and not to curse, we miss the point if we fail to understand that the Bible also teaches that a person's life may be cursed if they disobey God's moral and ethical laws. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The Bible declares in Deuteronomy 30, 19, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now therefore choose life so that you and your children may live. The Bible also declared in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, and you shall proclaim the blessings upon Mount Gerizim and the curses upon Mount Ebal. Some 3,400 years ago, the God of Israel renewed covenant with the people of Israel upon their entrance into the promised land. That solemn ceremony took place upon two adjacent mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, in what is today known as Samaria. Half of the Israelite tribes stood on Mount Gerizim, representing the consequence of blessings for their obedience, and the other six tribes stood on Mount Ebal to represent the curses that would befall the nation for disobedience. Recently, the discovery of an ancient curse tablet confirms this biblical narrative, and I believe the archaeological find has very deep spiritual significance for our generation as a sign of the times. Archaeologists who sifted through debris taken from Mount Ebal uncovered a metal curse tablet dating back to the late Bronze Age. Most significant, the tablet bears one of the proto-Hebrew names for God. Dr. Scott Stripling and his team from the Associates for Biblical Research discovered the tablet, and they have begun releasing their findings after nearly three years of painstaking research. In both the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua, Mount Ebal is described as the place of witness where the Israelites agreed that lawbreakers would be cursed as a result of disobedience. The inscription on the metal tablet represents a legally binding document in the covenant 
that was made between the Israelites and the God of Israel. He promised to bless them if they kept the terms of the covenant as recorded in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. Those two awesome chapters contain both the blessings and cursings in the law of God. God enumerated all the blessings of obedience and all the consequences of disobedience in those chapters. In our ministry, we have often taken tour groups to Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing, and to Mount Ebal, the Mount of Cursing, where the Israelites stood to say, yes, we will receive these blessings and we will also pay the consequences of the curses if we disobey. The tablet says, quote, you will die cursed, 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 cursed by the God of Israel. You shall surely die cursed. The name of the God of Israel, a primitive Hebrew form of Yehovah, is inscribed in that formula. According to Dr. Stripling, the ominous inscription confirms the biblical account of Mount Ebal, and he believes the discovery is a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. You see, to find the name of God written twice on such an ancient artifact is historic from this early time period. The tablet represents the whole nation binding themselves to the Lord's covenant. The discovery of the tablet follows the initial tremendous discovery of Joshua's altar on Mount Ebal by the late Israeli archaeologist Adam Zertal. The tablet was found by sifting through discarded materials from excavations at Joshua's altar. While the tablet is a stunning example of archaeology validating the truth of the Bible, on the other hand, to hardened hearts, the discovery may seem negative or superstitious due to the repetition of the word cursed. And people who hate the Bible will only scorn the discovery because the Bible to them is nothing but negativity and religious restrictions. Skeptics and agnostics simply do not understand that God's purpose in setting restraints upon our behavior is for our spiritual, mental, and physical well-being. But to those who are spiritually attuned, the discovery comes across as a stark warning. For example, do you recall a number of years ago that a thousand-year-old book of Psalms was discovered by a construction worker in an Irish bog? And the book of Psalms was open to Psalm 83, which mentions Israel's neighboring nations and how they all conspire in vain against Israel. The uncovering of Psalm 83 was a message to the world from God, reminding the nations that they conspire in vain because Israel, as the Bible teaches in Genesis 12:3 and Numbers 23:8, cannot be cursed because you cannot curse what God has blessed. God has determined at this time to bless the return of the Jews to the Holy Land. So, in the mercy of God, the discovery of the so-called cursed tablet is also a warning, especially to anti-Semites in a season of increased anti-Semitism. News of the cursed tablet is a warning also to the church and to the nations. In the churches, for the most part, 
There is too little repentance for our gross national sins. Instead, today's pulpits seem to emphasize how to be blessed. So why didn't God allow a blessed tablet to be discovered from Mount Gerizim rather than a cursed message from Mount Ebal? Whether we like it or not, the Almighty is warning the nations, including Israel itself, that there are consequences to our many national sins that bring a curse and God's wrath. This is the hour for the church to awaken from its sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The Bible says the night is almost gone. The day is near of the coming of the Lord. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. If we're living an upright life, the good news is that according to Proverbs 26.2, an undeserved curse will not land on its intended victim. You see, when we're walking in a holy manner before God, according to the Lord's precepts, when we're covered by the blood of Jesus, keeping short accounts daily, asking the Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way within me then no curse can alight upon us. The Lord has delivered us from the curse of the law and there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah. Look at Galatians 3.13. It says Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And how did he do that? By having become a curse for us, for it is written in the Torah, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was our substitution on that cross, and he took the rap for all of God's anger against our sins. On our behalf, he took the blame and our punishment. So the gospel teaches that when our Lord hung on the execution stake of the cross, all the curses of the law were laid upon his body, and the sinless Savior became sin for us so that in exchange we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, when we are walking in an upright manner before God, not giving place to the enemy, not allowing our tongue to run riot, and not giving any place to evil, a curse without cause cannot fall on us. This principle is found in Numbers 23, verse 8 where the prophet asked, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Well, I had to learn this truth because as I'm moving throughout the nations, all sorts of curses are being hurled. Satanically inspired people do curse ministries. And if I would believe for one moment that such curses had any power to penetrate the protective covering of the shield of the blood of Jesus, I would be intimidated and defeated. Our great mentor, evangelist Reinhard Bonka of Blessed Memory, often told the story of being approached by a woman for prayer. Pastor, she cried, help me. He said, what is the problem? Pray for me, she said, because there's a demon sitting on my shoulder. Lady Reinhardt answered, Flies can never land on a hot stove. Amen. Psalm 104 
in fact, declares that God's ministers are flames of fire. So no devil wants to sit on us. That devil would be scorched. I was in a meeting in Jerusalem, which took a strange turn. A woman called me out of the congregation and began to prophesy over me according to her own understanding. Have you ever heard anyone prophesy according to their limited knowledge or understanding? Well, she knew I was moving throughout the Arab world and in India, but believe me, we don't do any uncommanded work in our ministry. We only follow the marching orders of the Lord of the harvest. But this woman seemed to be afraid on my behalf. She was thinking naturally, and so she began to prophesy. Oh, Christine, be careful. They're sacrificing animals against you. They're cursing you. They're hurling curses against you to try to stop you. The words she was speaking over me were growing more and more miserable. And if I had received her words into my spirit, I could have been greatly oppressed. By her confessions of defeat, I couldn't have functioned. A precious woman of God who was presiding over the meeting, as the prophecy progressed from bad to worse, the dear soul seemed to lack discernment and kept shaking her head and moaning that for God to have mercy, to have mercy upon me. But I didn't receive that false prophecy because in the name of Jesus, the Bible says the curse undeserved cannot alight. That's again, Proverbs 26, 2, one of my favorite verses. God, by his grace, gave me this biblical mindset and thank God for the word of God. And when we know this word, we have no natural fear, but we must know God in his word to be strong and to accomplish exploits. So says Daniel 11:32b, which is the theme scripture of these videos. My husband and I traveled for years throughout Africa with evangelist Reinhard Bonke, but sometimes he would tithe his time by preaching on other continents. And when Reinhard went to India, he was met at the airport by a pastor who asked, do you sense the oppression here in India of all of the millions of the Hindu gods? And I loved Reinhard's answer, and I immediately took it on board as my own. He said, no. I'm only aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we've been given an assignment by God, we should only know the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much witchcraft is going on in the atmosphere. A believer is immune to undeserved curses. Many times witch doctors sent incantations against Reinhardt, but curses rolled off of him like water off a duck's back. If any evil spirits have been sent on assignment against you, in the name of Jesus, you have the power and authority to decommission them. As a matter of policy, whenever I stay in a hotel room, I spiritually cleanse and consecrate the room. I speak a cleansing over the bed. I declare in the name of Jesus, I cancel any uncleanness. Every spirit contrary to the spirit of the living God must exit this room. We also consecrate all our vehicles and air flights for travel mercies. With every new rental car, we pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this provision of transport and we consecrate this vehicle to you and believe it will never be involved in an accident. 
Thank you, Lord, for surrounding our transportation with your holy angels. And we decree this vehicle is the chariot of the Lord. Also, Exodus 23, 35 promises, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And God said, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. This is all part and parcel of the gospel. You cannot curse what God has blessed. If you are a strong, obedient believer, any curses, hexes, or spells hurled at you are null and void in the name of Jesus. However, there are conditions of obedience to God on our part. God is faithful, and we must remain faithful. With all kinds of sin rampant in the churches today, many naive, unbelieving believers think God's not watching. He doesn't see, and grace is covering me. But there are consequences to our actions, the Bible teaches, whether we are believers or unbelievers. In Genesis 12:3, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him down to the individual who curses you. That word in Hebrew, curse, means to esteem lightly. So the verse is not just pinpointing someone who yells profanity against the Jewish people. It teaches that even if we lightly esteem the Jews, then God says, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to lightly esteem you, which, of course, brings repercussions upon you and your descendants. I truly believe one reason why I am blessed is because my parents always reverence the Jewish people. And also in my generation, I've sought to serve God's purposes by blessing the Jewish people, by being a watchman on the walls and interceding on their behalf. Consequently, my children receive blessings. Here we see the power of consequences. If we think that our children are going to be affected, then maybe we will think twice about what we do. Furthermore, the covenant of healing had conditions. In Exodus 15, 26, God made a covenant of health with his people in this ordinance of healing. The Lord revealed his name as Yehovah Rapha, meaning I am the Lord, your physician that heals you. But he also said he expects us to obey him because he is a covenant-keeping God. The Exodus 15 passage says that if you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, it's amazing how many people in church are not doing what is right because they don't know the precepts of the Lord. If we give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, then he promised, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. So there are conditions. And when we meet the conditions, then we have a guarantee that God will keep his word for us. We also have the ordinance of healing in the New Testament in James chapter 5, verse 14, which asks, is there any sick amongst you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith, not the prayer of unbelief, but the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven him. It's not just the prayer of faith, but the confession of the sin that causes the healing. 
So that part has to be done too. Furthermore, this passage in James chapter 5 teaches that the afflicted person should have the faith to call for the elders. You see, a bystander can't say, well, I'm going to bring the elders to pray. The sick person must sense the necessity and be willing to give the call himself. That's the protocol in James chapter 5. The person's will is involved. Prayer can't be forced on the sick person. Once somebody insisted that I go to pray for a sick woman, but I soon discerned that she didn't really want prayer and I certainly didn't try to force it on her because she sat in the bed like a duchess, polishing her nails and enjoying all of her friends scurrying around and waiting upon her. But for those who genuinely want to be healed, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That verse in 2 Corinthians 1.20 literally means all of God's promises are amen and amen, or yes and yes. If we meet the conditions, we are guaranteed blessing because God is not a man that he can lie. So says Numbers 23.19. Therefore, this word of God must be trusted and believed. In Exodus 25, we see the consequences of generational curses. God says that you shall not bow down to these gods or serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So the Bible teaches the harsh reality that there are generational consequences to sin. So we've got to be careful what we do if we dearly love our children. I love my sons and now I have a precious grandson as well. And I don't want any of my actions or poor decisions to bring any consequences upon them because they have enough to deal with just living in this fallen world. Some ungodly influences from my ancestors had to be repented of and renounced, cut off in Jesus' name. But I'm grateful that many of my ancestors were men and women of God. And I do believe one reason why I'm blessed is because my parents lived godly, righteous lives. The gospel declares, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So if you are a first generation believer, you can have a clean slate. You can break with every generational curse and declare, Lord, I thank you that your blood is the greatest detergent in the world. I renounce and cut off any ungodly actions or influences of my ancestors. And I can cut off all generational curses in the name of the Lord. But here's something else that's important. If we're not careful with our tongues, we can curse ourselves. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, also warned us in his New Testament book that the tongue can be set on fire by hell. Also, a vitally important principle is found in Proverbs 18.21, which declares that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This teaches that we can speak life or sins of the tongue can bring a curse for which we need to repent. Regarding dangerous speech, Numbers chapter 12 is an important chapter written for our admonition. 
Miriam and Aaron murmured against their brother Moses and against the woman whom he had married. And because the text indicates that Miriam was the instigator, she was cursed with leprosy and had to be quarantined outside the camp. Miriam wasn't healed until Moses, the one she had maligned, prayed for her. Speaking against God is also dangerous. In the Bible, the Lord sent 10 plagues against the gods of Egypt. And after their exodus from Egypt, there were 10 plagues against the Israelites. Why? For murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. Furthermore, the people actually spoke against God. They grumbled in Numbers chapter 21. Why did he bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness where there's no food and water? They were always grumbling and complaining, and they had the gall to call God's manna bread from heaven, worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people, and many died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. And they were cured by looking upon a bronze serpent on a pole, which was a type of the cross. So if we sin, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to know the principles of Messiah and how to appropriate the atoning cleansing blood of Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name because the holy blood of the Savior must be applied by faith. And then we can have confidence toward God and we can go forth and do exploits for him. Hallelujah. But somebody can work in a soap factory and still be dirty until they apply the soap. So also we can live in this world and be dirty with sin unless we apply by faith the cleansing blood of Jesus. I want to encourage all people of faith to stay in faith and not to faint in these serious days. In order to stay blessed, the Bible teaches us to develop a mindset to endure hardness as battle-hardened soldiers of the Messiah. The battle is fiercer than it was yesterday, and now is definitely not the time to lose courage or to give up. Increasing spiritual warfare is coming against ministries and individuals. A faithful minister of the gospel recently admonished us to pray more often in the Spirit to fortify ourselves because the times require it. We must face the fact that spiritual warfare is inevitable and conflicts just can't be avoided. Yet the more strenuous the battle, the more glorious the achievement and victory. Now, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact me through social media. And please visit our website, exploits.tv. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app so you can access all our videos and our Bible reading plan. We also feature many ebooks at our website on a variety of important subjects, including my book that covers our topic today, Blessings or Cursings. Until our next time together, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. 
I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha.